Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter, uh, business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. And uh, we've got a special guest today, and I'm going to preface this by saying that um, if you look at all the the you know the political events in Bear County in 2020, I think the most remarkable result. Um, was what happened in Precinct 1 in Bear County. Uh, for the first time in 16 years, you had an incumbent defeated uh, in, a, in a primary uh, race. And uh, you have, as a result of what happened in Precinct 1, we will have, for the first time in 19 years, um, we will have a woman on uh, Bear County Commission. We're actually going to have two women. Uh, but we have one of them here with us today. And uh, Rebecca Clay Flores uh, was uh, was the victor in Precinct One, and uh, just to give you a little bit of background on her, she is someone who uh, grew up in San Antonio, was homeless for for a part of her childhood, and uh, ended up uh, getting a degree from Princeton. If I get anything wrong, Rebecca, by the way, please correct me. Uh, a degree from Princeton, a master's from from, from Harvard. She, she spent. Uh, uh, many years working in education. She's been in, involved in, you know, community activism and, and uh, I think is, is, is going to be, you know, bring a really fresh perspective to the commissioner's court. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you didn't get anything wrong, but I always tell people, if you're going to talk about Princeton and Harvard, then make sure you talk about Brackridge High School. Yes. I'm a proud alum of of Brack, so hence my campaign colors were purple and yellow. Well, well, okay, uh, it's a it's a fair point. I wanted to, uh, and you, you've probably been asked this a lot, but I, you know, being that we had not had a county commissioner uh, defeated in sixteen years, I mean, this was something that I, I mean, I, I looked at it as just an extremely difficult thing to do. Uh, you know, we don't have uh, term limits, we don't have contribution limits for for county commissioners. My uh, I, my memory is that that uh, the incumbent, Chico Rodriguez, in the year leading up to the, the runoff spent about $450,000. You had about $30,000, I think, that you spent. He had tremendous advantages there. Uh, what, when was it that you decided you were gonna run uh, for county commissioner? And uh, you know, was, the, was, there, was there a moment, was there some, some epiphany that you had where you thought, this is something I have to do? Yeah, I don't know if there was one moment. Um, I have always been politically inclined and um, have always wanted to run for office, but obviously running for office is, is, is scary. It's quite daunting. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a there's a lot of dirty politics and there's lies and, you know, they try, get, try to dig up things about their background. And that did happen to me um, since they um, couldn't find any dirt on me. Things were made up. And so, um, and I know that that's, you know, the political game. Um, and right, one of the reasons why I hadn't run before. And then I just decided that the time was now. I decided that my community deserved better. And so one of the things specific about Commissioner's Court, when I had realized that we didn't have any women on Commissioner's Court, that it was all men, several years ago, I realized that. And then that in a hundred years, there have only been two females and never a woman of color. I mean, we're talking about San Antonio. San Antonio is 70%, 70 something percent people of color. And I'm black and Mexican. And so as a woman of color, I was just like, I was disgusted. Mm -hmm. But I'm also someone who doesn't believe in just complaining. I'm not just going to sit around and complain unless I'm willing to do something about it. So if I'm going to complain about 
why don't we have people, women of color on commissioner's court? Then someone would say, oh, women don't run, which is not true, right? Or, oh, not a woman of color. You know, people always make excuses. So I decided that um, I couldn't be a part of that excuse. And what really compelled me was that two of my best friends from college um, bought my plane ticket to go to a Black alumni conference at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And um, being there was just so invigorating. And it was a conference about you know a lot of different things. But the last night, this was in the first weekend of October of 2019. The last night of the conference was the final dinner on a Saturday night. And that particular um, topic was on politics. So they had black black Princeton alumni, elected mm-hmm. officials. Um, they had, you know, a congresswoman from Alabama and just different people from all over the country. And they were talking about why as black alumni with our elite education, why we have a responsibility to run for office. So that was just kind of the final um, nudge that I needed. And so when I came back home, I spent the last, the, the following two weeks meeting with mentors, talking to people, praying. And then the timeline was just perfect. The precinct that I live in, precinct one, um, the current county commissioner's time was coming to, you know, his term was, was ending. And I decided, you know, I've been talking about it. I'm complaining, do something about it. And when I decided about it and prayed about it, I just felt so alive. And at that moment, I knew that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Despite um, some people in high political circles trying to discourage me because they said I I wouldn't be able to beat the incumbent because of his family name, because of his war chest, um, because, you know, there's a saying that there's a fair county politics and then there's politics on the south side. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Um, And so... And, and I was just like, that's not a good reason not to run. And so I'm moving forward and I'm doing this. When you. So I did. As you were, as you were considering it, I mean, what did you, what did you consider uh, Commissioner Rodriguez's failings to be? I mean, as you looked around precinct one, like where were, where were the deficiencies and you know, what is it? Go ahead. Uh, well, just in general, I remember Every time I would come back from Princeton as a college kid, and I was like, in, in some of our neighborhoods, I thought to myself, that's the same wino on the same corner. Mm-hmm. And there are just things that were not changing. Grow up, growing up in San Antonio, all the new stuff that you saw went to the north side. And so people just talked about how San Antonio is booming and San Antonio is growing, and it is. But to be more specific, it's really the north side of town. So I felt that my community had been left behind and that we needed elected officials who were really going to fight for the community. And I just, I just didn't see that happening. So that was, that was one, of, one of the things. Obviously, as I started campaigning and started meeting with more people, there were different things that were brought to my attention by different constituents. Mm-hmm. But um, initially that was, that was just one of, one of my, that was one of my things. Were you, were you surprised by any obstacles you came up against in trying to knock off an incumbent? Because that, that is quite an accomplishment. 
No, I wasn't surprised. I knew it was going to be ridiculously hard. Um, I knew they were, you know, especially during a pandemic too. You had to. Had that was a surprise. Work. Yeah, thank okay. you. <laughs> of course, that was a surprise to everybody. Definitely the pandemic. Um, but I knew it was going to be hard. I, I, I here, actually, yeah, actually, no. Here, here is one of the surprises. I thought I was going to be able to raise more money locally because there are people who have known me for years. They know my capabilities. Um, I have raised money. Obviously my background's in nonprofits and education. And when you're in that field, you got to raise money. And so I have raised money before and I thought it was going to be a lot easier. And then it came, some people told me um, they couldn't support me financially because of who I was running against and that they had heard. um, These are not my words. You know, these are not accusations. This is what people told me. They had heard that he was um, vengeful and that they didn't want to give money because they needed to look out for their, for, for whatever. Um, so, so that did surprise me. I thought I was going to have an easier time raising funds. And so here, here's something I, I want to share. I actually ended up putting um, ten or $11,000 into the campaign of my own before the, the runoff. The last mailer during the runoff, I could, we didn't even have enough money to do a mailer. And so at the, at the end, I was like, we have to do a mailer. I put $5,000 um, to do that one mailer. And, you know, I didn't grow up poor. I'm sorry, I didn't grow up rich. Uh, I don't have, you know, family money. And so, and then my background, education and nonprofits, it's not the traditional route that many of my Princeton classmates have taken. Um, so I've I'm, I'm never been someone who's like, has all this money in the bank. So when I decided to run, I started paying the minimum on all my bills, including my master's from Harvard that I'm still paying off. And I had been working on paying that off. Um, and I just started paying the minimum on all my bills so that I could have cash on hand. And that's mm-hmm. how I was able to have wow. cash to in turn put back into my campaign. Uh, my friends in college were great. They, you know, they sent me money. Um, but at the end of the runoff in July, I had spent about 37,000, including the money that I had put in on my own. And um, he had spent at that time on the finance report, it was 450,000 something. So I actually threw the last 10 days of the runoff, which you spend a ton of money. Um, So I'd say spent a little under half a million. What do you attribute your victory to? Anything in particular? Uh, Is there a a particular weakness in the incumbent or a need that wasn't being met? So I'm not looking at his weaknesses. I am looking at what my team did well. And what I've always said is we were working hard, fighting hard and praying hard. So I am a woman of faith. I had a lot of people praying for me. Um, I had scriptures that I claimed and I had a small team of volunteers who really believed that our community deserved better. And we worked really hard. Uh, My campaign manager, Frankie Gonzalez-Wolf is also a BRAC graduate. And when one of the first conversations we had Um, when I was talking to her about my run and she has what I call a BRAC attitude. (laughs) So to me, the BRAC attitude, um, probably similar to many schools or many kids who grew up in the inner city without a lot of things going to BRAC. There was a lot of um, stereotypes that were thrown at us because of the part of town, because of who we were. And I constantly felt that I had to fight against these stereotypes. So it was like, whatever we have with whatever little we have, we're going to run, we're going to do it, and we're going to win. And um, and so there's one conversation I was having with Frankie early on, and she said, 
girl, whether we raise $1,000 or $10,000, we're going to be creative. We're going to do this and we're going to win. And I was like, this is the person I need to be working with. And so mm-hmm. we, we both worked really, really hard. Um, actually, I got sick um, right after the election because I was just pushing myself to get through November 3rd. Frankie also really got sick, um, had to go to hospital. And it's just, you know, the, the exhaustion of pushing yourself and pushing yourself. Um, so finally, we are just so grateful that we get some time to, to rest and reflect um, so that once January comes, we can really hit the ground running and really want to, to um, keep our commitment to this community. Rebecca, you talked a little bit about uh, just how, how um, the South side and, and your, your precinct includes a lot of the, the Southern part of the County, how it has been sort of left out of some of the, the, the development that's happened in other parts of the County. And I, I knew during the campaign, you talked about, you know, food deserts mm-hmm. in, in the South part of the County. And, and you talked about the need for community education. Um, how, how it, within, within the structure of, of, of the County government, how, how do you see uh, being able to, to, to further some of these things that you wanted to community education and, and some, some, spurring economic development on the South side, do you see like public private partnerships or what kind of, yeah. what, what kind of role can you take to make this happen? Well, first I just want to, I know a lot of times people talk about precinct one and they talk about the South side, obviously the precinct one is huge. We are the largest geographic um, precinct. And so we encompass uh, the Southwest side and all the way up to um, parts of the Northwest side, including Alma Ranch. So I just want to make sure that I, that I say that. Right. Um, Obviously, traditionally in San Antonio, the South Side has been overlooked. And so one of my former students um, really was trying to, he's actually the one who brought this to my attention in the mm-hmm. South Side Independent School District area is considered a food desert. And he really rallied um, and mentored some younger um, students even to attempt to get an HEB there. Mm-hmm. And so we need to definitely partner public and private partnerships and, um, but also use our influence. So, you know, I talk about my backgrounds in education, obviously county commissioners are not over schools, but elected officials have power and influence. And I think we need to use our power and influence to talk to other elected officials, talk to other members of the um, private industry, other um, uh, to philanthropists, and to really see what the needs are and not just saying coming in and saying, this is what you need, but really having a relationship and communication with the community. Precinct one is so diverse. Each neighborhood has its own personality. And the only way we're gonna make things really happen is to have good communication and good relationships so that we can really bring to the communities what they need. Um, also, commissioner's court um, responsible for some um, contributions to different nonprofits and things like that. So we really need to review those allocations and make sure um, that they're going to the right organizations and not just to an organization because for the last 20 years, they've been getting that amount from commissioner's court. So it's really a review of policy and understanding, not because we're doing something because that's the way it's always been done, but why are we doing it? How does it help the community? And it seems like you've got, I mean, you do have some some good businesses on the South Side at this point. I mean, you've got uh, Port San Antonio, yeah. Toyota, you will have Navistar. And, you know, in terms of education, you've got uh, Texas A&M, 
the campus there. Mm-hmm. But what really seems to be lacking is housing around those areas. I mean, you you have they're kind of like economic islands, and they don't seem to have really bled out. You know, the benefits don't really seem to have bled out across the South Side. Like, as a county commissioner, how could you address that? So I think that I'm already addressing it. Mm-hmm. I hope so. We know being from San Antonio, it's almost this uh, notion of, even if you grew up in the inner city, you know you've made it when you move to the North side. Mm-hmm. And um, I was very conscious, conscious when I came back to San Antonio. I have two older brothers. My oldest brother's five years older than me. And so even though he's older than me, but he um, he's a pediatrician. And so his schooling was a lot longer because of residency and all that. So we ended up, we actually came back to San Antonio around the same time. Um, we rented a house together in King Williams. You know, I wanted to be in Brack's neighborhood. Um, we rented a house together for two years. And then when it was time for me, I decided I wanted to buy a home. I couldn't afford that neighborhood. And so I moved further south. And here's the interesting thing. And I think I can say this because um, the board, San Antonio Board of Realtors endorsed me. They gave me a, an amazing um, financial contribution, which I'm really grateful for. And I look forward to having open communication with them and working with them to serve the community together. So one of the things when I started calling realtors and I said, this is where I want to, to find a house. Um, and I said, either the East side or the South side, they continued to point to the north side. And I was like, no, you don't understand. And I would, and this was more than one realtor. And I would tell them all the time, like, no, the east side is south side. No, there's just nothing there. And I was like, what do you mean there's nothing there? I'm from here. I know there's there's things there. And so the way that I found my home now that I built 16 years ago um, was I ran into a friend from high school at HEB. And she was like, oh, they're building a new subdivision over here. And I'm like, wow, finally. And at the time, now now my numbers might be wrong, so I'm sorry, um, but at the time, it was like the first time in I don't know how many years, like maybe 40 years or something like that, something like that, that they had invested and built a new subdivision in the inner city. And so I was like, this is it. And then it was really important for me also to be in SAISD boundaries. So I had always wanted to be on the SAISD school board, um, almost ran for whatever reasons I didn't run. Um, but hey, now I'm, you know, about to be county, county commissioner. Um, and so it was important for me to be on the east side or south side, be in SAISD. And so I found my home. I love this neighborhood. And I think that's part of hopefully being an example to the children that I have served over the years. Um, Even over the last couple of years, or even coming back from Princeton, and people would find out that I went to Princeton, and then they'd ask what part of town I live on, and I would tell them, and they always had like this confused look on their face, which I don't really get. So I think part of what we need to do is our individual actions say something. And you can choose to live wherever you, wherever you want to live, you know? I mean, obviously, I'm on the north side a lot. I have friends I go see, and, you know, do business, whatever. Um, I'm be a county commissioner for the, for the entire county, but I will represent Precinct 1. But I chose to come back to a community that nourished me. And that was the example that I wanted to give um, to the students that I serve. So I think it starts with our individual decisions. And also, again, it's all about relationships. So... Fortunately, I already have a good relationship with San Antonio Board of Realtors, and I plan to um, continue to grow that and work with developers. And um, because people do want to live here, it's it's not that people don't want to live on this part of town. Sometimes they can't find the the new home that they want or the housing that they want. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on there are a couple of like election related uh, or just uh, electoral system related things. Uh, uh, obviously, as, as an arm of the state, the county does not have uh, campaign finance limits um, or, or term limits. And um, so I, I, I wondered if you had what your thoughts are. I mean, there, there would be a way and we sometimes see this at the legislative level where there's kind of something kind of carved up. For a particular county, you know, something maybe a piece of legislation that is specifically tailored to uh, a, a particular county that would allow a county maybe to 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 do something that 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 other counties wouldn't do. So, for example, you know, when it comes to term limits or or a campaign finance limits, um, and so I just wonder if if you you have any thoughts on that, or if that's something that you think would be worth pursuing. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've talked about on my campaign is that I think we need to have more transparency and accountability on commissioner's court. And I think part of that is having term limits and um, donation limits. I just think that those type of ramifications or those type of, of kind of ordinances within commissioner's court will help to have more transparency. So I'm definitely um, a proponent of that. The other thing on, on election stuff that I was interested in is, you know, we we had because of the pandemic, we had to sort of uh, w- there was an effort to sort of expand access to voting, and you had County Commissioner Justin Rodriguez uh, pushing for the mega centers and uh, making uh, mail ballot applications uh, more readily available to people. Um, we've heard Jackie Callan, the county uh, county elections administrator, say that this is going to be her last presidential election where she's going to she's going to be in that role. We don't know how much longer she'll she'll choose to. To stay on as elections administrator, but she's she's given us some sense of how long uh, she's going to do this. Um, going forward, when you think about the elections administration in Bear County, would you like to see some of the things that we that we did this year under these special circumstances continue? And are there any other things that you, you think the county could do to make voting, uh, you know, easier uh, and help increase turnout? Absolutely, we definitely need these things in place. When I first heard that early voting was going to be three weeks, of course, as a candidate. And I'm someone who worked the polls every day. And if you've never worked the polls, it's exhausting being outside. And I was like, oh no, three weeks. I have to work the polls for three weeks, but Mm -hmm. for the voter, it really is better. And we saw the numbers, you know, um, we had some of the highest numbers and that's something that we as a state and as a county should be really proud of. So I think a lot of these things do need to stay in place. Of course, the world has moved to online, but, you know, and so Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a long time coming for Texas, but I would love to see some kind of online voting where it just be easier. And I think Mm -hmm. we need more voting sites. I mean, even during early voting in, now there are areas in the rural south um, side that have voting sites like, uh, you know, Somerset, City Hall, Southside IC, admin building. But in the western part of the county, which is my precinct, there are no early voting sites. And so uh, one of the places I worked the polls a lot was Northwest Vista College. Mm -hmm. And if you were following the numbers, Northwest Vista College repeatedly had the highest numbers in the county, and that's in my precinct. 
And I think that one of the reasons it has such high numbers because there aren't more available sites in the Western part of the county outside of the city limits. So people have to drive in. And um, I think we definitely need more polling sites. That is definitely something that I'd like to see. And um, electronic voting, I think, would be really, really cool. So hopefully we can see that in the future at some point. Hmm. Um, I want to get a chance to talk to you a little bit about the, the, uh, what we're seeing with COVID-19. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of a, a national trend that we're seeing numbers really spiking right now. There's a lot of concern about what might happen um, with, with the holidays coming up. Uh, and I, it, I wanted to get your thoughts on, is there anything that you see uh, in, in terms of the partnership between the county and the city that uh, can be done? Is there anything that, that you think could be done better to try to, uh, to, try to keep the, this, you know, the, the spread of this under control? I mean, I think in, hopefully we're doing a good job in terms of wearing masks and things like that. Um, I really wish that everyone would continue to wear their masks, but not just in public, but even around their families. So um, we have <laughs> really made my mom stay at home. And recently she's been coming out more for doctor's appointments because early on <laughs> we made her cancel her doctor's appointments and push her back, mm -hmm. back and finally she has to go. Um, and so she had not been in my home since March. She came yeah. to my home last week for the first time. And, um, and when she was here in my house, we kept our masks on. And I just think that even though it's hard and the holidays are coming up, but we have to sacrifice. The, the way I see it, I'd rather have these annoying things that I have to do around my mom so that I can have her around with me for next Thanksgiving, for next Christmas. And um, we really need to think about that and think about the other person. And I, you know, I, I obviously had some, um, some criticism early on about my um, current employer, Metro Health. And, you know, we are Military City USA. The active, the veterans and the active military, they are part of this town. More and more retire here and they stay here and they get involved. They're not just sitting on the military bases. They are involved with the churches and the community. I mean, one of my top volunteers from my church is active military. And he was one of my top volunteers. Um, and so I really wish that because we are Military City USA, we could have used the training of some of the military to help us do testing early on and to get more testing done. I mean, we have this resource here and, you know, military, <laughs> they're about service. And I think had, had they been asked, they would have been ready and willing to step up. So I think that um, unfortunately that's something that we should have done early on. And um, for those of us who have been in public health, we didn't need a pandemic, unfortunately, to show us that there are underlying health discrepancies, educational discrepancies, economic discrepancies in certain parts of town, including um, the South side. And so it's really tragic that we have to have a pandemic to get attention to these things that um, the coronavirus has hit certain communities harder. So yeah, we didn't know about the coronavirus. That was a surprise to everyone, but we did know, we do know that San Antonio has one of the highest numbers of diabetes, 
obesity, um, amputations. Why is that okay? Why are we not outraged? Why are we as a community, the public health officials, why are we not doing more? Um, so yeah, there's a lot more we can do. And some of that is kind of what we talked about early on, right? The, the food deserts, we need healthier options. Um, in some of our communities, you drive around and it's nothing but fast food. And I'm sorry, but greasy chicken does not help a diabetic. So there's, there's a lot of things, everything's connected. It's connected with education. It's connected with, you know, economics. And, um, I'm looking forward to hopefully becoming part of the solution and looking at our community as a whole and um, really making some waves to do something about it. Sometimes um, it's not comfortable to talk about these things, but who says we're supposed to be comfortable? Sometimes we're called to be uncomfortable. Speaking of which, have you have you met with any of your uh, soon-to-be colleagues on commissioner's court? Um, I have met with the, you mean since the election? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not since November 3rd. No, I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, you know, I definitely have talked to some and, you know, texted some, but no, no official meetings um, as commissioner elects. Not yet. Does it, does it, I mean, obviously there's a lot of focus on the fact that you will be two women on the commissioner's court. First time in 19 years that a woman you and Trisha Berry will be on there. Um, how, how important is that to you? I mean, what, when you look at that, I mean, what, and we're seeing the same thing on the national level with Kamala Harris, the, the vice president-elect, and, and the, the groundbreaking nature of that. When, when you look at, at your victory, obviously, this, is, this was a, a personal campaign and something, and you felt that you had something to offer on, on the commissioner's court. But when you take a look at the, 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 the broader implications of having two women on the court after mm-hmm. nearly two decades without any, what does that mean to you? it means a lot. Um, you know, when I was campaigning, I would tell people I'm, I'll be the first woman of color on commissioner's court. And then I would tell them, excuse me, I would tell them, but don't just vote for me because I'm a girl and I'm black and Mexican vote for me because I'm tough and I'm educated. I'm going to get something done for the community. So having more women on the court, having more women of color on the court, Uh, not just in the court, but at every level of leadership means better representation. Mm -hmm. Because commissioner's court was all men, yet the people who vote are not 100% men. Thank God, like we now have the right to vote. (laughs) Um, And so it's about representation of who this community is to speak up for the people. That's why I ran for office to represent my community. So it's not about what I wanna do or what I think. It's about, this is what the community has asked for. This is what the community demands. This is what the community deserves. So I am looking forward to it. I think um, obviously it's bringing different personalities, different worldviews, just different understanding, just a different life understanding. And uh, it's, it's been overdue. It's much needed. And now we not need to get in there and make some things happen. Well, Rebecca Clay Flores, uh, good luck to you uh, going forward. And thank you so much for taking time out and, uh, and uh, visiting with us. And I uh, hope you're able to get some more rest because how many weeks do you have? Do you have about another five or six weeks or something before you get sworn in? When is it? I, I'm not running. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Sorry about that. Um, anyway, okay. well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And, and those of you listening in, thank you so much. And we'll catch up with you next week. Thank you. Take Thanks care. for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Gilbert. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.